0: Hi, my name's Stephen and I'm one of the pastors here at Manuel and it is my privilege to be taking us through our next section of the book of Matthew, a book in the Bible that we've been looking at since the beginning of the year, going through it verse by verse. And it's um, kind of story by story. And uh, so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8. So if, you ha- if you're old school, you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to that. Or if you like the rest of us, get out of your phone and get to the right app. No Facebooking now. Come on now. And so feel free to get that out and get ready. But be- before we get to the passage, there's two things I want to talk about. The first thing is probably the most important thing we're going to talk about all week. So listen up. We've got new chairs. I like, I like new furniture. We have got new chairs. Better still church. We didn't pay for the new chairs. Yeah. Boom. So we love free stuff. Quality free stuff. So yeah, we stole them. Uh, no, no, they're just, well. It's stealing, you know, what's stealing? No, no. no we got given them uh, because uh, we have a wonderful team uh, that serve our facilities. We've got three buildings that we now look after in the city and we've got a team who run them, look after them, make sure Sundays happen, uh, make sure they're ready for all kinds of ministry and stuff that we do during the week. But as well as that, they work really hard to bless the city, open the doors up to other organisations who want to come and use our space during the week. And one of those uh, organisations said to us, uh, we don't really like your blue chairs. They're a bit tatty after two decades. Who knew? And uh, we did. And uh, so they said, we like new chairs, please. And we said, Well, you can have new chairs if you pay for them. They said, Sure, why not? Woohoo! And uh, so we have new chairs and we found a buyer for our old chairs. <laughs> so it sounds really random, but just give you know that God is a God who provides good things for those he loves. So, amen to that. Uh, second thing is, uh, I want to speak to the fathers in the room. I am a father myself and I think it's fair to say growing up and as I was dating, being a dad was definitely a massive goal in my life. I really wanted uh, to be a dad and so it made up kind of a bit of quite a lot of the conversation uh, that me and my wife had when we were kind of dating and then when we were engaged. How many kids are we going to have? And uh, my wife is one of two, she's her and her brother. And she's like, oh, I think two, two seems like the perfect number. And uh, I grew up in a family where I've got a brother and a sister and also my cousin lived with us through our childhood. So was kind of four of us. So well, I kind of like four. She said, like, well, I want two. And I said, like, well, yeah, but I want four. And so, like all good couples did, we compromised and uh, had six. And uh, <laughs> just chucked those numbers together. Everyone got what they wanted. She's got two, I've got four. And... Um, it means that we've limited how many we need to love each. And so I just love the four that I like, and she loves the two that she likes, and, and everything's fine. Some of them are in the room. You can guess which ones you are, guys. Okay. But we love, don't are them. They're a pain. No, we do love them. We do love them. And, uh, and, uh, but being a dad is hard work. Dads, am I right? That is hard work. There are moments of pure bliss and joy. There really are. I love my kids. I have wonderful moments with them. I uh, had breakfast with my three teenage sons this week uh, before I went to school, and they didn't, they actually entered into conversation with me. I thought glory had come. And, uh, and there's not many times when my daughters, they greet me as I come through the door. It's wonderful. But there's other times where they're not as easy. And they have challenging moments. Or so the school wants to ring me about some of their uh, interesting uh, behaviour choices. And uh, getting kids to do homework. And uh, just the busyness of life. At times it is challenging. It is difficult. And, uh, and uh, if you are a, a father here, you'll know that. You know, those moments I was speaking to a daddy before the meeting saying, you know, they were talking about you know, how it's a bit challenging for him right now. He's like, oh, well, you've got, you've got five, six, how many? I was like, I don't know, who knows. And uh, he's like, well, it must be worse for you. I was like, no, it doesn't work like that. No matter how many you've got, we've got a new baby or whether you've got adult kids, you know, It does something to your heart. There is, you're invested in others' lives and, and what they're going through affects you. And it is difficult and it is challenging. And so as a community, we've got to be good at holding up our parents and, uh, and, and, our, and our fathers. And today's a good day for us to think about that. And uh, I am blessed by having other people in my life who encourage me in my parenting and in my fathering. Both people who have uh, kind of kids who are, 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 are kind of beyond ours. Kind of, I'm asking them for advice you know, every new seasons and new challenging kind of parenting moments. You know, my oldest is going to GCSEs, like that's a pressure. So I'm asking my friends who are ahead of me, how do you manage those times? That kind of stuff. And uh, but I've got other people who haven't got kids. But know me, know my family, love my kids, and are able to ask me questions and encourage me—that kind of stuff. And I, the great thing about fathering is we get to uh, imitate our Father in Heaven, and our Father in Heaven loves us, and He is the perfect Father. And I try every kind of six months to look at my own marriage and my own parenting, and really do an assessment of my whole life, to be honest with you, and just think, how am I doing? Am I being the father that I want to be? What am I matching up to what I think God wants me to do and how, I, how I'm supposed to be a dad? And as I look at uh, Father God, just realise he's so loving, so wonderfully patient. And we'll use the word long-suffering. Like He suffers us ongoingly. And I just think, yeah, God, you really do that with me. I make the same mistakes over and over again. Coming back apologizing for the same things. And God is just so gracious and so loving. I've got a wonderful God who provides, provides chairs and lots of other things as well. He's a God who loves to lavish things in my life. He's also a God who disciplines me and takes me through hard things to make me more like His Son. So I'm looking at those things saying, God, thank you for following me that way. Help me do the same with my own children. Help me to do it intentionally. And I've been a father long enough that I've read enough books that I rarely come across anything particularly new. But it's more kind of I come across things reminding me, what is it that I'm meant to be doing? What is it again that I'm aspiring to be? So it's wonderful kind of godly principles that you want to take on as parents and as fathers. But it's also a unique way that God has made you as dads and put you together with the kids he's given you. And there's also a, a synergy there. But what kind of dad uh, did you kind of expect to be or want to be or dream about being? What do you want to be uh, to your kids? And I try and think about that from time to time. to make think, actually, am I being what I hoped I would be? Am I doing what I want to do uh, in God? And uh, I was doing this uh, last term. We were away with some other couples looking at our marriages and our families, that kind of stuff. And I came away thinking, you know what, I'm thinking I'm doing all right with some stuff. I think, you know, we're going to nail the kind of process around homework. And we think we're teaching them manners at the meal table. And uh, someone recently said to us, oh, you know, you guys should batch, you know, batch cook. That would help save on labour during the week. I was like every meal is batch cook it's eight miles meal, eight miles the feet what are you talking about you know but uh, so but, but we're we going kind to of get some systems and doing well teach them to sit nicely at the table teach them about god or spiritual disciplines that kind of stuff but I suddenly realised I've just become a bit serious And my friends know I'm a bit of a joke I have a lot of fun But I suddenly thought I don't think that's what my kids are seeing right now They're seeing more of a serious dad than a fun dad And uh, or my wife says, grumpy dad And uh, so I was like, yeah, you know what And I want to just take a moment and think Actually, I want to be creative in that area I want to bring a joy giver to my family so I just want to say as father, such a bit of a challenge to you. Hopefully today you're going to be blessed by your families or it's a chocolate bar or whatever it is. Um, but I also would say to you, why don't you just take a moment at some point today just to reflect. Are you being the dad that you want to be? Whether you've got a baby right now, just trying to dream for the future, or maybe if you've got grown up kids, there's still a moment. How are you being towards your kids in the season that you find yourself? Is there something more that God wants you to do or maybe remind you of what you have been? Let me encourage you to do that. And I know Matt's prayed, but I'd love to pray for us and also pray as we look at God's word. Let's do it together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you just for the dance in the room. Again, Lord God, we count it as such a privilege to, that you've kind of given us the children you've given us. That we might love them the way that you love us. We might train them in the way that you train us. And Lord, you know that we are weak, we are sinful, and we get things wrong, and we need your grace each and every day. And uh, thank you that need is met by you. Thank you, your mercy is new every morning. You're faithful to us, faithful to help us. And I pray, God, help us to just keep a short account with you in this area. Help us to be inspired to go again. Help us to, where we've got it wrong, even say sorry to our kids where that's appropriate as well, we pray. And uh, Lord, we want to pray this morning as we look at your word together, that uh, you would speak to us through it. Thank you, these are your living words, that we might see more of who you are that we might be changed more into your likeness, that we might receive uh, faith to believe you for great things and go on mission with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so a little bit of context about today's passage. So we're in the book of Matthew. We've just seen Jesus finish his Sermon on the, the Mount, his most famous sermon, a sermon full of all kinds of challenging statements and teaching. And he's just come down the mountain and now we're into kind of a few chapters in Matthew where we're going to see kind of some anecdotes of the way that he did ministry on earth. They're real ones, but they point to a, a kind of exhaustive list. It's not an exhaustive list of other things that he did. And uh, last week we saw that Jesus, the first person kind of he deals with is a leper. And uh, someone with this kind of uh, 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 skin disease that uh, is very contagious. That's what I'm gonna call it, contagious. And uh, one who would have to shout, Un- unclean, unclean, so other people wouldn't come near him. He was physically unclean, but also socially unclean. People would avoid him like the plague, literally. And uh, Jesus just confounded the crowds that are following him. And instead of avoiding this leper, walks over. And instead of avoiding him, touches him. And instead of being made unclean by this leper, cleans him. Cleans him from his physical illness, cleans him from the social stigma. And it gets into his life and confounds the expectations of everyone looking on. Now, why is Jesus doing that? He's meant to be a teacher. He's meant to be a holy one. Why would he defile himself in such a way? But he does it out of love for this leper. And we see a continuation of that this week. Jesus meets a Roman centurion. And uh, we'll look in a moment why that is quite so shocking. But he interacts with someone who is not physically unclean, but again, socially and uh, considered socially and culturally unclean. But Jesus steps into his world and uh, changes it. And uh, there's something for us to see in the centurion's life as well. So have that in your mind as we listen to the scripture now.
1: This is a reading from Matthew chapter 8. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marvelled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Amen. What a story. This uh, story isn't just recorded in Matthew 8, it's
0: also recorded in Luke uh, chapter 7 as well. So as we look at it from Matthew 8, we're going to look at some of those verses, but also going to change the camera angle. That's kind of what Luke does, looks at it from a slightly different angle. And there's bits we're going to add, uh, we're going to kind of take from that to help us fill out the story as well. This story starts with Jesus going back to his hometown of Capernaum. I don't know where your hometown is. Actually, have you got any any born and bred up Brytonians? A smattering Not many of us are actually from Brighton, are we? kind of move here for study or move here for job Whatever it is, we end up being here People from different uh, towns and villages and nations Uh, Myself, I'm actually from a place called Chalfont St Peter near Jars Cross in Buckinghamshire And I've worked very hard to lose that accent And uh, be a bit more Brightonian But uh, Jesus, and he's got a little posh little bubble On the edge of West London Uh, But uh, Jesus, he's on Capernaum It is not a posh little bubble it is a bog standard Jewish town And uh, he's just one of the peasants there And uh, he's coming back to his hometown And he is approached by a centurion Now the centurion, he's a Roman centurion And this time in, uh, in Israel's history They're currently under occupation The Roman Empire has spread so far it now uh, oversees Israel And uh, there they have people stationed Military men stationed there To keep the peace and keep Roman law and order And uh, this centurion, he's over 100 men and he's under some other kind of military figures as well. And uh, he comes up to Jesus because he has an issue. And uh, as he kind of comes to Jesus, there's kind of four things we're going to learn from him. First we learn is that this centurion is a man who cares. He's coming to Jesus because he has a servant who is sick. It says in this passage that he was paralysed and suffering terribly. In the Luke passage, it says that he was near to death, and he's coming to appeal on behalf of his servant. It's not a natural thing that he should do that. Uh, he doesn't necessarily need to care for his servants in that way. He's get some other ones, maybe, or maybe it's a particular. You know, you could look cynically and think, well, maybe he's just a really valuable servant. Maybe he's one to get, really get stuff done. Who knows how to get a good deal on chairs, that kind of thing. And uh, maybe that's the deal. But Jesus doesn't pick up on that. There's obviously some kind of pure motive uh, in this uh, uh, centurion and you see in the passage in Luke that actually he's helped the Jews before in terms of building synagogues. So there is some compassion there. He comes to Jesus on behalf of others. You know, it's great to lay our own needs before God. It's been good even to do that this morning. Say, God, this is my need. Please be good to me. It's also wonderful to, when we come to God to come on behalf of other people as well. I say, God, these are the people that I care about or these are the people I see with need. Let me bring their cares to you. So he's a caring man. He's also one who humbles himself. He literally comes to just a Jewish peasant, just the ones they're meant to be looking after. And he comes to him and says, Lord. He condescends himself. He brings himself low and says to Jesus, Lord, I need your help. He was a man of great importance in that society. For him to come down to that level was quite a shock. And he comes and uh, he's he's humble because he realises something special about Jesus. In that humility, he reveres Jesus. He respects him. In fact, to such a point that in the Luke account, he actually sends some Jewish elders to go and kind of make an appeal on his behalf because he doesn't feel like he can come. But obviously things have got so desperate. At this point, he now comes to Jesus himself. And he says, Jesus, I need your help. And uh, Jesus says, yes. I will help you. Let me come to your house. And uh, he says, no, 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 do not come to my house. I'm unworthy to have such as one as you come to my house. Now, me and my wife, we have people around quite a lot. There are some moments where we don't want them around because we have quite a lot of people living in our house and uh, only a few of them, tiny percentage of those people, put things away. And so our house is often like a whirlwind of mess. And uh, my wife is desperately trying to hold back the ocean and tide of mess with just her bare hands. And she does a wonderful job. Every day should be Mother's Day. And... Uh, <laughs> But this centurion, he's not ashamed of his house. He's not. He's not ashamed of that. No, he's ashamed of himself. He's not. His house is unworthy it's because he's he's unworthy. He says, "No, you can't come to my house. I am unworthy. I'm aware of my sin, my weakness, my inadequacy, my unworthiness for such as one as you to come to me." Okay, this is a great model for us when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is wonderfully good news. It's about Jesus' love and his salvation that he gives us. But it comes from bad news. And that is that all of us have things to be ashamed of. All of us can say to Jesus, I am unworthy. That's where it starts. It starts with the realisation that each of us need saving. Each of us need a saviour. Each of us are weak and uh, need the strength of God in our life. That's the message of the good news. It doesn't sound that great. Telling a city, telling people, hey, just so you know, the starting point is you're sinful. You're shameful. You've got stuff wrong. Things you've thought, said, and done. And kind of gets countercultural. Our culture is saying, no, affirm yourself. If you've got issues, just, just think more highly. Think more positively. No, the gospel says no. Be real. Be sober-minded about the fact that you have a great gaping hole and need in your life. That's where the centurion's got to. He's grasped that first step of the gospel, realizing I am in need of a helper, in need of a saviour. And we must come to that place. And uh, sometimes it's easy when we're around for a few years or maybe a few decades, like I have been around Christianity. To uh, when we sing "Amazing Grace" for instance, you're like, oh, "Amazing Grace." I just think, you know, I can look around the room. Just the words just come out, I'm not really thinking about it. Grace is amazing. Grace is scandalous. We do not deserve God's gift of love. We do not deserve his gift of freedom and life. We don't deserve him. We don't deserve to be in relationship with him. Actually, he should never have come anywhere near us. Shouldn't have come anywhere near earth. But out of great love, he has come to us. And so we must make sure we don't live in the place of unworthiness. Don't live under condemnation. But when we know a moment of like, we've got things wrong, well, then we can bring that to Jesus and say, God, I bring this to you. And need your help. And Jesus welcomes us in and gives us forgiveness. That's why we do communion each week. It's an opportunity just to remind ourselves, you know, I've got things wrong this week, but I've got one who forgives. And get back on track with him again. We don't want to fall off one side where we're kind of cheap grace and think, oh, I'm just going to sing the songs, yeah, I'm forgiven, it's okay. It's thing. No, no, we need to make sure we're serious about our need of God. We don't fall the other way, though, and just constantly be, I'm um, unworthy, unworthy. No, no, God just brings us back and says, no, walk with me. Know my gospel through and through. And right now, the centurion, he's in this side. He's kind of like, yeah, I'm unworthy. I know this bit. I'm hoping he got the other bit as well. He knew God's help, not just for his servant, for himself as well. We don't read about it in the Bible, but maybe that's eventually where he got to. So he comes to Jesus with humility and he comes to Jesus uh, with great reverence and respect for him. Are you revering Jesus at the moment in your life? But then we learn the fourth thing about a centurion. He has great faith. And Jesus makes a lot of this, so we need to make a lot of this. He says to Jesus, you know, the, the Luke passage says he had heard of Jesus. He'd heard of what Jesus had done. He hadn't seen with his own eyes. hadn't been up on the stone on the mount. hadn't seen the healings of other people. He just heard about him and he got faith that this Jesus could be the answer for him. He grabs a hold of it and says, Jesus, just say the word. I know that what you say will be done. There's no doubt in his heart. He fully trusts. That's what faith is. It's about trusting God. Uh, Alan Preston is uh, one of uh, elders who used to be here. He was actually here last week. You, some of you would have seen him here then. Uh, he used to talk about a bridge in Northern Ireland, a rickety bridge that goes out to a stack of rocks in the sea. And uh, he, you, know, you could say to someone, hey, this rickety bridge, kind of a rope bridge, do you think it would hold your weight if you walked out on it to the ro- a stack of rocks? And uh, people say, yes, I do. So I'll oh, walk it then. And people are like... Well, not today. And, and there's a difference between believing something and trusting something. Actually, I'm actually going to walk along that rickety bridge. That's something I'm saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jesus is good and he's salvation. There's another thing saying, and then I'm going to step on him. I'm going to stand up on him as a solid rock in my life. I'm going to really trust and have faith. And that's what this centurion's done. He's saying, no, I'm gonna, I can stand up on the truth of who you are. I can call you Lord, and I know that when I ask something, you will do it. And then he gives a reason for his faith. And we're encouraged in the word of God that uh, we should have a reason for our faith. We'll be able to give a reason, be able to articulate, put into words why it is we believe Jesus. Not just knowing it for ourselves, be able to tell others as well. And uh, the centurion goes into this. He gives his rationale about why he believes Jesus can do what Jesus can do. He uses this example from his own life. He says, I am one under authority, as someone in the Roman uh, army, when he gets given orders, he just carries them out. You no, know, He doesn't get to question them. He just does them. And he is also one who is over others. He has authority. He has uh, soldiers and he has servants. And he says, when I tell them to go, they go. When I tell them to come, they come. When I say do this, they do it. He's like, I'm under, I'm under authority. I also have authority. But you, Jesus, you have the ultimate authority. So when you say something, it has to be done. When you say sickness, go, it must go. He gives a reason for it. And Jesus marvels at this. He's like, wow, you have understood this. Jesus doesn't mind being compared to this petty officer in 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 an army. In fact, later in 2 Timothy 2, he's again compared to the commanding officer. And we, his soldiers, willingly serving him. And he says to, this, to the crowd, he says, wow, I've never seen such faith as this. I marvel at it. I marvel at this amazing faith. He's not marveling at the fact that the servant is in a life-threatening uh, uh, situation. He's not astonished for that. He's not astonished that a miracle gets done. In fact, he's very nonchalant. Now, he says, can I have help? He's like, yeah, sure, I'll come to your house. I'll heal, I'll heal him. It's not, I might heal him. She's like, yeah, no, I'm not, that's not a big deal to me. The big deal was the faith exhibited by this man. He'd only heard and yet he'd believed. We're in the same camp as the centurions. No one here. Some of you looking a bit old, but none of you were here uh, when Jesus walked the earth. So we're just going on second hand. We're going on hearing, going on that faith. The Bible says, blessed is he who does not see and yet believes. That's us. We're in the same camp as uh, the centurion. Sometimes it's hard, but you know what? That's the kind of faith that Jesus honours and he loves. Later on in this uh, chapter, we'll look at it in a few weeks' time, Jesus is again astonished at faith, but the lack of it this time. He's with his disciples. He's on a boat. Maybe you know the story. And there's a big storm. And they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, can't you do anything? And he says, you of little faith. They've been with him. They've seen these amazing uh, healings, amazing miracles, and yet they still don't believe yet there's one who's seen nothing but still believes him and Capernaum his hometown even that gets a rebuke later on in Matthew because of their lack of faith where's your faith at how much are you leaning on Jesus in your situation how quick are you to pray I'm really guilty of this of saying I've tried this this and this and this so finally I'm going to pray how many times does that get my last thing Jesus I'll come to you once I've exhausted all other avenues instead of saying Jesus you're my first I know you love me. I know you're in my situations. Let me bring my need before you. he just needs to have a humility. Say, God, thank you for being in my life. I need you for all of it. Maybe you're not a believer here this morning. Maybe you don't have any faith in Jesus. Let me encourage you. Faith is a gift from God. And you can ask for it. Say, God, I've got all these questions right now. I've been in that position. Had lots and lots of questions about the faith. Lots of questions about what's in the Bible, what I see around me in the world, and uh, I've got lots of those answers, lots of those questions answered. But the thing that changed things for me was that God gave me faith to believe in Him and trust in Him. Maybe your next step this morning, just say, "God, give me faith to believe that you, uh, you are who you say you are, that I may trust you as a centurion trusted you." So point, the first point was just the centurion and his amazing, humble faith. Where is your faith? Point two, we're going to start looking at Jesus in the midst of this story. Let's focus upon him. Jesus is mighty. He is powerful. He's sovereign. He rules over all things. Nothing is impossible for him. And as we read through the scriptures, we'll find that Jesus heals in all kinds of ways. And uh, in this situation, he was really happy to go to the centurion's house and heal in that way. In other times, he's touched people. Other times, he's spat on people and put mud on them. All kinds of things Jesus has done to heal people. There's all kinds of methodology. In one sense, we don't need to concern ourselves with the method that much. For Jesus, going to the house or just saying the word, in one sense, is inconsequential. He is the healer. He's a great doctor, the great physician. It's not about the wrappings. It's not about even the gift. It's about the giver. Jesus is the one who heals. But we do see a pattern in the Scriptures that God does do things by his mighty words. We have a pattern that we have seen throughout Scripture. And we know words are powerful. We know that the, the kind of playground rhyme of sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me is absolute rubbish. And we know that words stick. We know the things that our fathers say to us stick. Fathers, what you say to your kids, it sticks. You have an ability to build them up and encouragement. You have the ability to be harsh and tear them down. And uh, I've I've done both. And I've had to apologize to God and repent and apologize to my kids as well, because I don't want to live under those words. Words are powerful. How we use them is very important. They're also really important because Siri and Google and Alexa are always listening. So uh, make sure you use your words well. But God's words, I like that, but on a whole other level. They are crazy powerful. And we see this time and time again in the Bible. Here in this one, Contention says, just say the word, give the order, it will be done. And sure enough, Jesus says, hey, go and your servant will be healed. And at that moment, the servant was indeed healed. But see this in other places, right? Back in Genesis, God says, let there be light and there was light. And he just spoke into each day, light coming. Now, we don't know whether that is poetic, whether it was six days or not, but the Bible is really clear. God spoke and the world and the universe came into being. Elsewhere in the scriptures, Jesus, uh, when his friend Lazarus dies, he speaks to the closed tomb. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus wanders out in his grave clothes and comes out, brings him back to life. There's a little girl who's dead. He says, little girl, wake up. And this little girl wakes up from death. Hebrews 1, 3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He creates things, he recreates things, he brings things back to life. He also sustains all things. Without God's words, the world would stop spinning. The breath in your lungs would cease to be. We need his words at all time. There is no limit to Christ's sovereignty and his power. When we know that, when we realise that, it changes how we relate to him. We as a church love to pray. We have prayer meetings actually each and every week, 6.30, 7.30 on Thursday, although not this week. But every other week going on forward as we love to pray. We have times during the term where we all stop our various community and small groups and come together and pray. And during those prayer meetings, we sing great songs like we've been singing this morning about how amazing God is. And how wonderful it is. And sometimes we've prayed them and we've got a little, uh, kind of sung that and worshiped God. And then we've got a little groups to pray about things. And uh, then I hear people pray. And even I'm guilty of praying sometimes, like, oh God, if you maybe could just help us with this little thing that we like. And actually, our prayers sometimes betray the fact that we don't think that our God is that big or powerful. We pray, you know, we sing songs of worship that are taken, inspired by scripture about how mighty he is. And then we pray uh, prayers that betray the fact that actually we don't think God is actually that mighty. I said, No, God, help us to line up our faith, line up our prayer life with the fact that you are a big God. We want to pray God shaped and God sized prayers that show that actually we're a people of faith and we follow a sovereign, powerful God who could do mighty things. Where are your prayers at right now? How big or little are they? One wonderful thing about it as we look at this as well is that Jesus is someone whose power is not constrained by time and space. He is able to say something here and something over there is happening. Which is great for us because Jesus right now is where? He's in heaven with his Father. Still praying. Praying for what? Praying for you. Interceding for you. And his Holy Spirit is with us and in us. Working in us. It's a wonderful place to be. It's also good for our own prayer lives. We know that we can pray. It's great to lay hands on one another's shoulders and pray, that kind of stuff. We're encouraged to do that. But we can pray for things and for people who aren't in the room. In fact, we mentioned Janusz and Camilla. Uh, They're currently, we're going to send them to Krakow later this year. And this weekend, right now, they're looking at houses in Krakow. And we can pray for them. Say, God, give them the house. In fact, dear God, give Janusz and Camilla the right house. Amen? Amen. Amen. God answers prayers across distance and time. Let's pray big prayers. And what Jesus does in the physical world is a pointer to what he does in the spiritual world as well. There's times where Jesus says, what's harder for me to tell this person to be healed or say forgive them? Well, it's easy just to say forgive them, but has it really happened? Well, I'll prove it. Be healed. If you're powerful enough to heal, you're powerful enough to forgive. If we can trust you with those words, we can trust you with these words as well. Which is good because when you start reading the rest of the, uh, the Bible, you see there's other words that Jesus has spoken. Other promises that he's said over us. He said uh, things like, uh, be healed, be forgiven. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He said, it is finished. On the cross when he died, where he said it's finished, he spoke a word. Confirming that death no longer has to have a sting for believers. That sin is dealt with once and for all. His words are powerful and effective. So let's stir stir ourselves. Let's stir each other. Let's encourage one another in to do great exploits of faith. To pray bigger prayers. I should say at this point though, when I was reading this and, and, and considering this, I was saying, but God, you don't always answer prayers the way I want you to. You haven't always said the word. And maybe that's your experience. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. If it isn't, if God does answer all your prayers, meet me afterwards. I've got a list you can help me with. There we, each of us have got issues where we think, I've prayed for this, and God doesn't seem to have come through. I thought I had faith. I thought I was praying in faith, and it's not happened as I wanted it to do. Maybe even you've had people who are on death's door like this servant, and God's not come through for you that's my experience this year. I, uh, I love doing funerals as a pastor. Sounds a funny thing to say, but it's a real privilege to be able to serve families in that place of need. Uh, but I did a funeral earlier this year, which was heartbreaking through and through. It was uh, the friend of, uh, uh, best friend of one of my sons, 13-year-old lad, uh, who we've watched battle with cancer for years. And uh, Jesus, instead of healing him, decided to take him home. And a Christian lad who got saved at New Day. Hey, that's worth giving you money for, I tell you. And uh, him getting saved at New Day and finding his own relationship with Jesus. But he's no longer with us. It's very, very painful taking that funeral and taking that family through that. And lots of ways, you know, being praying with his family, praying and praying and praying. God, give us faith. And we think we're praying in faith. Just say the word. You could say the word, and he'll be healed. But he wasn't. Those moments are tough. And I don't want to put a gloss over it and say, hey, that's you know, God does it every time, just have more faith. No, we don't understand. We don't understand the mysteries of God why that happens in the way that it does. Where these prayers are apparently left unanswered. I don't believe they are unanswered. God knows what he is doing. But it is difficult. We've got to be careful not to demand how Jesus should act, or the timing or the way, but a full of trust that he can. And that his ways are higher than our understanding. Because prayer isn't always just a moment. Prayer is also a persevering thing. We find out elsewhere in the scriptures, God encourages us to be like a nagging widow. It teaches us to persevere and be audacious in prayer. And there's other ways to learn that kind of stuff as well. But I just want to say, hey, maybe right now you're suffering in the pain of like, I've prayed for things and they've not come through. Bring that to God as well because he cares for you. Our third point this morning, and our last one, we're going to finish with this, is that this story tells us a bit about God's heart for mission. The last thing that we know is that Jesus kind of crosses these cultural boundaries. He reaches out to a centurion. As much as it was humbling for the centurion to speak to Jesus, because he was just a peasant, it was also the other way around. Jews were not meant to kind of, uh, they had kind of built up laws and kind of traditions where they wouldn't interact with others. And this centurion, he was basically an enemy of the Jewish people. And Jesus is saying, you know, I'm not just going to interact with them. I'm going to go and serve this person. He doesn't miss a beat. So the centurion says, please help me. And he says, sure, I'll come to your house. Big deal for a Jew to go to a non-Jew, as I call it, Gentile's house. But he went. He went to him. Totally, again, dumbfounding and confounding the crowds that are with him. They're like, what? You're going to spend time with your enemies? And Jesus just pointed back to his sermon and said, this is what he said in in his sermon. But I say to you, but Jesus said to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said, no, no, this is the reason I came. I came to earth, but while you are still enemies of God, that I might win you to him. This is why he went to the cross, so that those who were far from God could come close to him. Jesus continues to refuse to be bound by cultural norms and the expectations of him. Jesus says, I will come, I will heal. His default is willingness to go and help the weak. Reaching out beyond the flock, beyond those who are already in. Helping others find their way back to God. And this is a new thing that Matthew has introduced. Now this is the theme right through the Bible. This is why God came. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they put a plan together. They knew Adam and Eve were going to mess up. They were going to each person in this room was going to need a saviour. They put a plan in place. Put a mission together to, 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 to save the world. And Matthew here, he's writing to Jewish people. That's where this book is reinforced really for, Jewish people. And he just reminds them time and time again, remember, this is part of your history. God's given you a mission in the, in the world. Your nation isn't just to accept the blessing and keep it for yourself. You're to give the blessing away. Right at the beginning with Abraham, he said, you're going to be the father, not just of a nation, but many nations. And you're to be a witness to those around you. You're to do them good. And here in this story, after marvelling at the centurion's faith, he's like, wow, centurion, this is amazing. What astonishing faith. He turns to the crowd and says, people like the centurion, they're going to be with me at the end of time. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, he's going to be at this faith, at this feast, that I'm going to have with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, these forefathers of of your family, he's going to be there too. In fact, people from the east and from the west, they're going to come and join us. And this is such good news, because not many people in this room are Jewish, if any. And so we are those people. We're those people from the east and the west that Jesus is coming to reach. He said, you know what, I'm not just after the ones who are already in. I'm going to go out and reach out for others too. So that's centurion, but for us too. The message didn't stay within the Jewish nation, but went beyond those bounds. Which means that we get to come into it too. And uh, this has always been part of God's heart for us. And it's the good news that we're to take elsewhere. We're not to put bounds on Jesus' love and good news. We're not to keep it to ourselves, but we're to go elsewhere with it too. And uh, we want to keep encouraging you. If you're particularly if you're a believer here, part of the church, saying you are meant to be a blessing to those around you. We talk about it all the time. Why? Because the Bible talks about it all the time. Matthew's going to finish this great book, we'll finish it at the end, with the Great Commission saying, "No, you are, yes, to reach those who are around, those who can get on, those who are like you. But then you go to go a step further. Go to Judea, Samaria. And then where? To the ends of the earth. It's it's good news. Not giving it to ourselves, but going elsewhere. Going to places where it's uncomfortable. Places where others think it's wrong for you to go. My wife and I, we moved to Whitehawk 14 years ago. And we are hawkers through and through. That's who we are. And we love it. Because God told us to go there. Why? Because there wasn't much church there at the time. There is now. It's great. We've got loads of small groups. We've got people living on, on the estate. We've got another church there that's moved in as well who we work with. and We, we serve with a food bank and debt advice and all kind of stuff. And we love it. We love those people. But when we went, people were like, oh, you're not going there, are you? They're council estate people who are just like other people, just so we're clear. I'm like, yeah, we are going to go there because they need Jesus just like anyone else. Who is it right now you're happy to reach? Who is it that would be a bit more difficult to reach? Just to show love and acceptance. I often get an opportunity to speak to our young people. I often put the challenge before them. Because at school is a pretty rough deal. I don't remember being a teenager. There's all kinds of factions and groups. My challenge to our Christian young people is, when was the last time you spoke to the kid that no one else does? There's always one or two of them, aren't there? Maybe a little bit odd. Maybe a little bit difficult. Got challenging circumstances. Hey, have you loved them? Have you stuck your neck out for them? What have you done? But the reality its true in the rest of life as well. Maybe in your workplace or in your family even. Maybe in the community you're living in. Are there people that, where you have to step across a boundary to love them and show God's love? Who are those people that you can reach out to? Jesus' love to sinners, his forgetfulness of himself, his willingness to please and love others and his eagerness to fulfil his own mission, that each of those things are an encouragement for us to pray for ourselves and pray for others. That we might increase in our faith, that God might marvel at our faith. Can you imagine that at the end of time? Jesus saying to you, wow, your faith was incredible. For us to really grab hold of the fact that God is the mighty one. Let's grab a hold of that both hands and let's take his mission and go for it. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this just picture of a man just humbly coming before you and saying he needs you. God, we want to be like that. Lord, we say humbly we need you in our life. And we need more faith, Lord. And we just say that as a gift from you. And Lord, we want to seek after it wholeheartedly. And Lord, I pray let us not become complacent or flippant with our relationship with you. Lord, thank you that we can know you closer than a brother. We can know you as a friend. What an amazing thing. But let us revere you. Let us see how wonderful and mighty you are, we pray. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.